podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey everybody, welcome to Coach Unplugged. Super excited you decided to join us today. Before we jump into the podcast, I'd like to give a big shout out to our two sponsors. First of all, teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. We have recently added a quarterly membership, which we're super excited about. Um, kind of lets you maybe jump in preseason or during the summer or something like that. Um, so that's going to be for limited time only. So if you're thinking of doing joining that uh, or joining teachhoops.com, which allows us to keep the lights on here, um, and all our podcasts come over and join us. Also, go over and check out Dr. Dish, the number one shooting machine on the market. Mention Coach Unplugged, mention me, mention Teach Hoops, mention anything, hopefully, and they'll take really good care of you and give you $350 off your next purchase, which I think is awesome and rocks. And all right, let's head off to the podcast. Let's head off to the interview. Okay, today on uh, Coach Unplugged, we have an opportunity to talk to John, John Wilcom. Uh, he is the author of a book called Walk on Warrior. Um, it's called Walk on Warrior, Drive, Discipline, and the Will to Win. I'm very excited to have him today on Coach Unplugged. Uh, he's going to give us a great opportunity to be part of uh, our Coach Unplugged family and get an insight of what it really takes to be a walk-on warrior. And this is overall basketball journey, I feel, as a reader – um, really gets good insight for coaches to learn through John's experience. Um, he's met many, many uh, famous people throughout his journey. His memoir is very entertaining. And uh, you don't even have to be someone from, from Wisconsin like myself to really enjoy it. But we're very glad to have him on the show today. Thank you, John. Appreciate you having me, Jacob. Excited to be on the program. Great. Uh, John, so the first thing is, uh, uh, can you kind of give us an overview of why you decided to write the memoir? Absolutely. So this was kind of a project 13, 14 years in the making. Um, really, the whole thing began when I started playing college basketball, um, not at Marquette, um, but at the University of Minnesota, Crookston. And that was back in 2003. I was playing Division II basketball. Um, like any freshman, when you transition to college sports, there, there's definitely a transition period. Um, I had a lot of interesting experiences there that I started to journal and thought, you know, these might be cool things to tell my kids someday. Um, and then really the, the last couple of years is when the book uh, started to come together. And I think a big reason for that is my wife is a medical resident. She's in a very challenging program. And she was working 100 plus hours a week and I come home at night and I thought to myself, I could watch a hundred college basketball games, you know, over the course of a season, or I could try to produce something that was somewhat impactful, um, not only just in my career, but something that was um, at the end of the day, meaningful to me. And so I took kind of all the notes I had and I really started to piece it together into a book and uh, the outcome was walk on water and I'm excited for people to read it. Yeah, I really enjoyed your book. I thought I thought it was great. Um, I thought it gave great insight to your full journey of what it really takes to be uh, someone to be on a walk on a walk on on a big uh, Division One campus, um, and just the overall insight of 
wow, all the things that really occur within a Division One program, but all the other things that, you know, um, kind of helped your basketball journey and stay connected with the sport, I think is really helpful for coaches in particular to learn and, uh, and read. Sometimes often we get the perspective of the, play, uh, of the coach writing the book, but it's oft, often nice to get somebody's insight that um, – uh, somebody that writes a memoir that's not a superstar. Um, and by any means, I mean, I'm talking someone that was a walk on to get that insight of their experience and their perspective and to learn from that. So I, I think, I think it's a great opportunity for coaches to read. So uh, the next question I have for you as we continue to talk to you, uh, John is, can you kind of give a brief overview of your basketball journey? Now your basketball journey in the book will be explained in great detail but kind of a brief overview of your your basketball journey and, and the game of basketball i grew up in central wisconsin uh marshfield it's a mm-hmm. town of about eighteen thousand people um attended marshfield high school and had a good high school career there i was a, a three-time all-conference player and my senior year we had the best record that marshfield high school had had in a long time in boys basketball so that was something we were proud of And as I mentioned earlier, I attended uh, University of Minnesota Crookston on a basketball scholarship, uh, which is Division II. Crookston is right on the border of North Dakota. So uh, it's a small rural community, um, play in the Northern Sun Conference, and actually played quite a bit my freshman year. Um, We had a challenging season. We only won four games. Um, But simply from a basketball standpoint, got a lot of playing time, um, and I had a pretty decent season. Um, but I wanted to go to a bigger school, and ultimately I wanted to be a little bit closer to home. So I kind of narrowed down my choices to the University of Wisconsin-Madison or Marquette. And Marquette was a, a special school to me. My father had been a student there in the 1970s and um, was ironically on campus in 1977 when they won their, their first and only men's basketball national championship. And so as, as a kid – I watched a lot of basketball, but I watched a lot of Marquette basketball. And so it was kind of extra special for me to um, just even be able to think about going to school there. Um, and the basketball stuff would, would be separate if I had an opportunity um, there. So once I got into school, I originally wanted to be a manager, and I just wanted to stay connected with the game and didn't think I had talent to play Division One basketball. Um, and I got involved in some summer camps and um, Brian Wardle, who's the head basketball coach at Bradley now, was an assistant at Marquette at the time. And he would scrimmage with a lot of the camp coaches at night. And, um, you know, we had played for several weeks and came up to him one night and said, we'd love to have you walk onto the team. And basically he gave me like a 30-day uh, time period to, according to him, just to get myself in the best shape of my life and to come back ready to go. And he did would basically communicate what would be next once I got back to campus uh, in September. And so uh, the rest is kind of history. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I made it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so like uh, big – I'm a big uh, – are you, do you still stay connected with Brian Wardle? Uh, because I, I've been uh, watching his practices several times up in the Green Bay area. He's a pretty intense guy. I can see how he would fit the Marquette system at the time when you were playing. Um, and that kind of goes, uh, you know, uh, just wondering uh, if you ever stay connected with him and uh, with your experience with him and Coach Wardle. Yeah, Brian's a great guy. Um, he's one of those guys where uh, he was a tremendous player. And I think mm-hmm. people people that know Marquette basketball, I think he, 
you know, at the time when he was coaching me, he might have been the sixth or seventh all-time leading scorer at Marquette. Yeah. Um, and he could still, you know, fill it up even as a coach. Right. Um, there would be times when we would, you know, be running various sets or um, running plays in the scout team. And if, if we needed a bucket against our starting five, you know, we'd turn to Brian. Um, yeah. So, I read that in the book. I found that very interesting that, you know. He's uh, a big-time player. Yeah. yeah. He could actually uh, – that the great thing about him was that if we would lose different contests or uh, scrimmages, he'd run with the rest of the team. Yeah, so. I, I like that a lot. I thought that was pretty interesting. The other thing is that uh, my question, I always felt I liked him a lot, is because he kept things pretty simplistic, even though as a player things become really easy for most people. But um, watching him when I watched him coach and so forth, he does things in a very simplistic manner. And it seems like it's, he just does things very intensely but very simplistically. And I think that gives a lot of success for a lot of young players out there, um, even at the collegiate level. Yeah, I think one great thing that both him and Tom Crean were big believers in is just getting your conditioning in okay. um, in the course of practice. And so both those guys aren't big like, let's get on the line with 20 minutes left of practice and run sprints for 20 minutes. Um, they both thought that was a huge waste of time. And so it was more just like, you know, basketball has a natural rhythm to it. Right. Um, if you're moving from drill to drill and you're intense in those drills, then, you know, the – the net effect of that should be that your body's in good condition because you're actually, you're actually playing and you're running and you're sprinting and sliding. Um, so I always thought that was a smart thing to do because we got a lot more done in practice in the time we had because we weren't saving time to condition at the end. Right. Um, one thing that I noticed, noticed about you in your book is that you, you, you do have um, a, a developed a very, at a young age, a gym rat mentality and somebody that, I, you know, reading your book and the, the nice thing about your book is that you connect at multiple levels from coaching high school to coaching elementary to being part of a division one program. So have you seen the whole perspective of how basketball works and how players grow? And I think one thing that has been lost in the world of basketball is kids that are true gym rats, you know, that really want to go in and put in the work. It seems like a lot of times now kids need somebody to organize that for them. So my question to you is, you know, two things is, uh, how do you think you develop that gym rat mentality at a young age? And what do you think coaches can do to instill that in their players? Cause I, I really admired that about you when I read your book. Yeah, I think um, part of that is the advantage of being in a small town. Okay. That's what my neighborhood did. I mean, we played basketball and like you said, there weren't people necessarily organizing that for us. Yep. You know, the, the minute in March that we could shovel our driveways and, have a space, you know, large enough to go play, we play. Um, and I had a lot of kids in the neighborhood that were older than me. They were naturally more athletic and bigger and stronger. And so it was one of those things where if I didn't get any better, um, I almost couldn't participate. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was motivating just because, um, you know, I wanted to get done with my homework so I could play with the kids in the neighborhood. And that's, that's kind of what we did. I, I, I don't I don't I don't see that as much as 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 now because that's how I, I was when I was a kid too and it just seems like now it, it takes a lot of kids to be able they got to go to a lot of organized camps and things like that so in, in, in a coach's perspective what do you think coaches can do to instill that kind of um, that uh, that intense mentality for that kind of that that grittiness of wanting to get better on your own yeah, I mean, I think it comes at like a natural pace for kids. And yeah, um, what I've seen, like like you said, and having coached college all the way down to second grade basketball. Right. 
Um, you know, kids need to naturally enjoy the game. Okay. They need to have with the drills. Um, they have to enjoy the competition and practice. Um, they have to have some success. I think if you're overmatched at a young age, it's hard to want to continue. Those are great points. Um, and then the other thing is just coaches providing um, just positive reinforcement and, and the right challenges at the right time. So, you know, if kid can't make a layup, he's not going to be able to shoot a three-point shot. You know, it's just you have to have a realistic expectation of what progress should look like. Right. And I think um, if, the, if the coach and the adult has that, um, the kid's going to be much more satisfied with, with what they're getting done and the, and the pace that they're moving at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are big things to keep in mind, but ultimately I think there's a certain age and for me, it kind of happened around sixth or seventh grade right? where, you know, naturally you're kind of just, you, you lock in as a player and you, you want to be committed or you don't. Yep. And that's okay. If you're not find something else that you like to do. But, um, I think because kids play so much basketball and especially travel teams and things at a lot younger age than what we did. A lot of times that's that's forced on the kids in second, third, fourth grade. Yeah, we've been talking about right. that a lot lately on Teach Hoops the last year or so. Just, you know, that maybe, you know, this whole the AAU circuit, all those things have just become over-exhausting for them. And by the time they get to the to junior and senior year when it's really what it's all about, you know, that's how I felt when I was a high school player and I was a role kind of guy. And, you know, I wasn't very – I wasn't one of your top players, but being part of the team and – and that type of thing was that's all, that's all that mattered to me at that point. We wanted to win conference. We wanted to get through the sectional. And ultimately the dream was to get the state. You know, I, I think a lot of these tournaments and stuff are just so over-glorified and kids just kind of get sick of it after a while. Yeah, I was at a uh, – watched a basketball tournament last weekend that featured two of the best high school teams in the country, one from Southern California and one from uh, Southern Florida. And the team from Southern Florida had um, – kid that's going to duke next year named mm-hmm. vernon carey yep um, unbelievable talent um but what was interesting about that is that his team was down by about 14 after the first quarter they were down by 18 at halftime um and at no point did they make make a run to close that gap and i kind of thought about that because these are college prep programs both of them but the desire to want to fight to get back in that to win a, a holiday tournament it didn't really seem to matter to anybody on that bench. Right. And um, again, for a lot of us, um, when you play less games and the games are a little bit more meaningful, taking that, that trophy home at the end of a, of a two day weekend tournament um, is a big deal. And it's, it's stuff that you ultimately remember versus if you played so many games that you can't even remember the outcomes. Um, right. I really don't know if that benefits you. I agree very much. Uh, so, uh, uh, one of the things that I really admired when I read your book um, was uh, a reference to page 72 in your book, but just in, you talked about this, uh, uh, you talked about this, this habit of focus and concentration in the moment. And I, I, I like to constantly go back to this idea of how we can connect the book and your experience to coaches. And uh, so what do you think? coaches can do to develop the habit of focus and concentration in the moment you know we talk about those big moments what do you think coaches can do or things that have helped you in your basketball career helping out in your coaching career that helps that focus and concentration in a moment a big moment time you know i think ultimately it comes down to preparation um and really i mean how many high school coaches are prepared for for everything they might see in their next game 
And have you mentally thought about, you know, how you're going to uh, play call? Does your team know that going in? Um, you know, are you making rotation decisions based on gut feel? Are you thinking about, um, you know, those types of decisions before the game? Um, and I think that even in high school, I mean, I can't tell you how many games I watch where it's the end of the game, team's down by four, and they seem to just foul whoever they whoever they could foul at the end of the game. Right. And I think to myself, you know, the amount of high school kids shooting 80-plus percent from the free throw line is, is, is not huge. It's not. It's and really so, not. Yeah, you know the personnel that's on the floor. The odds are obviously in your favor. And at the end of the day, you're going to be in a lot of close games where you might be the difference, especially at the high school level, between winning and losing. And so those are the types of points that I feel like as a, as a coach you make up. Um, the other thing is, like, I love Brad Stevens. You know, you watch a guy like that, and every time a timeout is called, um, whether it's a out-of-bounds play or an end-of-game situation, the timeout is called, and he immediately goes to the board and starts drawing up what he wants to present to the team. Right, he knows and what he wants to do. Absolutely. So you're, you're prepared. You have all the situations ironed out. And so when all of a sudden you've got a 30-second timeout, you not only need to, to draw it up, but you need to clearly communicate, you know, what needs to be done. It takes longer when you're a high school coach. So I think uh, the more prepared you are, um, the easier it is to be able to then communicate. And so what it. about the perspective of the idea of the player being focused and concentrated in the moment then? I mean, I, I know what a coach can do. I mean, I knew preparation is huge, but, you know, it seems like sometimes kids have a hard time focusing and concentrating in the moment at, at times as a, as a player. Um, I, I feel like a lot of our, uh, a lot of guys I've seen watch play that they, they don't have that basketball IQ or savviness or that focus or concentration in the moment of a big game. Any suggestions about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, like you said, I was kind of a gym rat in that way where I always believed in my preparation. And by preparation, I don't mean what I did a couple days before the game. Um, you know, I meant like, what did I do the entire summer? You know, what did I do? Um, you know, the hundred nights during the basketball season when, when practice would end and I didn't feel quite good enough about my ball handling or, you know, I missed free throws the night before or what have you. Um, that's just the kind of the type of commitment that ultimately like your skills and, and where your head is at during those moments are what's going to shine through in the game. I, I, so I, would I, just, have, I would have to agree with you on that. I think a lot of times people just think those things happen and people don't see the background of what really happens. So, say, for example, in a, in a big program, you know, their, their culture, what they want happening throughout the whole season. They don't see those things behind the scenes and all the hard work that it really takes to develop that focus and concentration. So I can see what you're talking about. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, basketball, football, um, it's crazy because it's just, it really is the opposite of what most people think. You know, it's the, all the non-sexy moments where no one's in there with you. Um, you know, I used to do ball handling drills in my basement as a kid when it's yep. zero to outside and there's, there's snow on the ground. Um, if you want to be good at something, you just, you find a way, you know, and you, uh, you figure out ways to, to get in the gym. Um, if you want to stay later, there's so many kids are like, well, my coach just closes the gym down. I have to go but they've never even asked and they've never brought up the fact that they want to stay. Um, ultimately, I just think all of us and myself included, even at, you know, in my mid thirties, um, if you want something, you ask for it. And I just think there's so many great people out there that are willing to help you that have been through similar experiences or that, um, 
that want to share with you in some way, um, people are just so afraid to ask for what they want. I agree. I, I completely, I completely agree with you on that. Um, it's a great point. Uh, so when reading about your Marquette journey, um, I, I felt like practice seemed very intense and exhausting. Um, but one thing that I point that it seemed that you touched on a little bit was that, that maybe you guys were doing too much too late in the season in regards to how intense and exhausting your, your practices were at the end of the year that maybe would cause maybe some injuries or some difficulties at the end of the year on your team's morale and, and, and overall body injuries. Um, if that's the case, uh, what, what, what do you think coaches could do to help support maybe not that happening? Um, or uh, maybe that's not the perspective that I got. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong on that by after reading your book, but just kind of a little insight of what, what you felt even as a, a walk-on for one year in that environment. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as I am. What you could do to help us out is go over and stop that car right now, subscribe and like over to Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We read every one of them. I read every one of them, and um, I, we appreciate them so much. It's something you can do for us. Uh, also, go over and check out our other podcasts, um, High School Hoops, if you're a high school basketball coach, and Teacher Side Gig. That's something I started just to kind of give back a little bit, um, help everyone out that's a teacher and has a side gig. I think there's a lot of them right now. Um, and of course, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Let's head back to the podcast. I think that ultimately there's a point of diminishing returns. Okay. And I think it's important for coaches to have a real good pulse. And maybe it's just a captain or two where they – you know, can pull them aside and just say, you know, what's what's the pulse of guys today? Um, how are people feeling? And ultimately, you know you have a good leader or two on the team when they actually tell you the truth and they say, you know, guys are sore. They're really beat down or um, that game took a lot out of us. Is that admitting weakness? I feel like if you have good leaders, it's absolutely not. It's, a, it's actually helping the squad move forward. And maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe that day you just you sit and chat or you – over some film or maybe even get more creative and you go bowling or go see a movie as a group yeah um, I think you can, that, that's I important mean, yeah without being on the court i think those are all uh those are all good ideas just to build camaraderie and um not have to physically continue to wear your guys down just to prove a point of of toughness because that's not being tough that's just stupidity right that's a great point um, the one thing I, I really enjoy too is this idea and the concept behind maximize the day. Um, if you could elaborate on that a little bit, you seem like pretty something that it's been kind of a cornerstone of your life when reading the book. Um, one thing you have to know about me, John, is that I'm a school teacher, so I pick up on the little little things within a book. So I kind of see and I, I view your I view your book as kind of you maximize a lot of your day with him just being part of the Marquette basketball and a division one program for just one year. Um, so could you kind of elaborate what maximize the day meant to you when you were a player at Marquette and then how can coaches promote this, this, uh, this idea or concept in their programs as well? So maximize the day um, was something that coach Crean was a big believer in. And essentially what it was, was just, uh, we had a chart in our locker room and um, we were all, um, what Marquette required to do something to maximize um, our day, whether it was getting some extra shots up or going through a ball handling routine um, or maybe some, doing some extra work in the, uh, in the strength and conditioning center. Um, it was basically, what are you doing outside of just the norm? So we all went to practice. We all had to go to study hall. We all had uh, maybe a strength session in the morning. Um, but it was, it was finding ways to get better outside of the structured agenda. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, as, as a coach, 
I love the concept and I love it even um, now as a, as a business person. I love it as a, as a father and as a husband to think, right. you know, little things that I can maybe get out of myself or how do I use my time a little bit better so I can spend more time with my wife or kids. Um, but as a coach, I think it depends on the kids. I mean, some kids may need a, a written chart. Others, it may just be the mindset of, um, you know, we're going to practice today from three to five, but you know, what, what are you going to do as a player from, from five to when you go to bed at, at 10 or 10 30, um, to make yourself maybe a better player or a better student or more well-rounded individual. So when you talk about maximize the day, can, did it go beyond the X's and O's in basketball? I mean, could, could, could you promote, uh, you know, your academics? Was it about taking care of your body? You know, those type of things. I mean, or was it only basketball related or do you think coaches could uh, branch off this idea of maximize the day? Uh, when you were at, when you were a player at Marquette, so at Marquette it was it was all basketball. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely think that you could branch that out. I mean, I I'm a big believer in reading books. Um, yep. And, and the big thing I, I love about books is that um, there's there's so many books where you just you read it, you kind of get lost. And to your point, you think about different concepts, and some of them aren't the most unique or, or even new to you. But it just makes you think about, you know, how you're handling your own business. And um, maybe it, it changes, uh, you know, your mindset uh, versus something. Maybe it makes you, gives you a little bit more positive. I uh, liked it. I like it too, John, because this, the idea of it's valuing people's efforts. I think a lot of times we, we look at numbers and, and, you know, achievements. But a lot of times it's just, it's nice to just showcase people's effort, you know. And it's, it's really easy for kids to say, you know, I put up another 250 shots today. You know, that effort piece is just, I just, I really like it. I think it could be really successful in, in, in a program at any, at any level. You could, you would do it. You could even do it in your classroom. You could do it in a business, you know, a head coach. I mean, I think it's a, a concept that can be used in multiple facets of the world. So I really enjoyed that. Um, also, uh, I think one key thing is, when reading your book, I often felt your efforts as a, a, a player, as a scout player, um, maybe it's sometimes maybe you weren't as appreciated as you should have been. Maybe I'm, I'm looking at it in a different manner. Um, did you feel that way? And um, it, how do you think coaches should promote these types of players in your position? Because no matter what position we're in, whether it's hopefully in third and fourth grade, we're getting everybody on the floor equally and getting a lot of minutes and working on the process. But as we move up as a, a basketball coach into junior high to uh, high school level, we are going to have players that are in your position as a, as a scout player, as a player that doesn't play that much, but their, their efforts are just as important. And everybody has a role as we talk a lot of times on teach hoops and um, on high school hoops as well of everybody has a role in, within a program. Um, how do we promote these types of players and make them feel valued? I know it's a big question and concept to talk about, but you kind of have the notes and things that I talked about. So maybe you could branch on each part as we go through it. Sure. So I did feel that a bit, and I think it's natural for anybody that's not getting an opportunity to play to, you know, mentally go down that road Mm -hmm. uh, occasionally. But one thing that I was always appreciative of and more appreciative of when I got older, as opposed to when it actually happened was, um, we were sitting in the locker room at halftime of a game and I hadn't played a second in the game. And um, everyone was talking about what we needed to do and the adjustments we needed to make just as players. And coach Crean came storming through the doors and 
the first thing he said was, John Wilkins, stand up. And I stood up and I thought, why would he be calling me out? Um, obviously, I haven't played a, a minute in the game. But then he proceeded to tell me that I was the reason we were losing. And that, you know, my lackluster effort during the week in practice, my lack of focus, my, you know, uh, inability to execute the scouting report of the opposite team, that was the reason we were down. And then he said, sit down, and he stormed out of the locker room. And uh, I talk about it a bit more in the book, but at the time I, I thought, are you kidding me? Like I have, I can't believe I'm getting blamed for something that I haven't contributed to. But, you know, obviously years later, I look back at that and I say, that was a really cool way to tell me and the rest of the team that my contribution on a daily basis mattered. You know, and, and I never that, thought about it that way till you kind of, sometimes when you read things, you don't get into contact, uh, get, get into the content and understand what it really means to you hear what it comes from your voice and, and hearing it from you and how you're talking about it now is that it is really, uh, a really is a, a unique way of, wow. You know, he could have he could have literally pointed a finger at Travis Diener or Steve Novak or somebody else who was getting tons of minutes on the floor at that time, but he called out one of his scout players. And I think that's really interesting as I go back and I reflect and I talk to you as the author of this book about, you know, how important everybody is on, on a basketball team and whether it's your managers and everything else. I never really thought about it that way till talking to you about it a little bit more and the, the whole situation that occurred in the book. It is a really, it is a really kind of touching moment if you really think about it. I mean, it really does add a lot of value to what you had, and what how important those scout players are on your team. If they're not playing hard, you know, you can only play and blend your team so much. Sooner or later, you're going to have to have your top players play against your next top five or six players, and if they're not working hard, it's not making anybody else better. And so, I think that's really important. One thing I definitely think we could. Uh, um, touch on the importance of those players being that part of your team in that manner. Um, so um, what do you think coaches can do to promote these types of players and any, any other suggestions based on your role that you had at that point? Yeah. So I was fortunate to work with um, Dave Cooks, who at the time was the head boys coach at Marquette university high school mm -hmm. um, in Milwaukee. And it was, it was an interesting dichotomy of just coaching styles from, yep. from coach, coach Cooks, but one thing that I loved about um, his style was that he treated, you know, the 12th through 15th guy on the bench um, the same as he treated his best player. And um, to the point where he even brought those guys into an office and I was sitting in that office as well. And um, we talked to them about their role on the team and we pointed out, you know, their strengths and what they do well. We told them why they're an asset to the group. Um, and we even got into details about, just the fact that their maturity as seniors and how that benefits guys that are sophomores and juniors. And, you know, those guys may be playing more, but maturity wise, some of those guys tended to lose their heads in big games or um, just didn't have the, uh, honestly, the maturity that um, some of these 12, 13, 14, 15 guys had. And I thought it was just a unique way to, again, um, call to mind these guys' strengths and to let them know that, and to also be really clear about their roles and why they were valued. Absolutely. Uh, so the next thing, that, and we'll go back to Coach Cooks uh, um, in a little bit, I, I think his connection and um, 
his relationship with you has really kept your love and uh, love for basketball continuing as you uh, decide to go on to the West Coast and get away from the snow. And I completely understand why you would do that. Um, <laughs> Uh, the whole whole Mike Lee connection, uh, not everybody probably in the whole world of basketball understands and who Mike Lee is, but he is a, a, a very, a very renowned uh, uh, basketball trainer in the Midwest. And you had a connection to be able to work with him in multiple facets with coaching AAU with the playmakers and running camps. Um, so you talked about um, you had some success at running camps. So what do you think that made your camps be so successful in the years that you were running those type of camps with Mike Lee? So Mike and I go back, uh, we grew up obviously in the same hometown of Marshfield, Wisconsin. Um, we were great childhood friends and we actually started our own basketball camp when Mike was a sophomore at the university of Wisconsin stout and I was a senior in high school. And we said, we've been to all these camps. We know what we like and don't like, what if we created our own? and um, just brought the best facets of those camps to Marshfield. And so that's what we did. And we, uh, we rented a gym at the local YMCA, and we had some local high school coaches help us just with the organization and uh, helping to get kids. But probably had 100 kids that first year. And the camp slowly built up um, years two and three. And by the fourth year, we actually started a circuit in the Midwest yep. where we uh, – you know, 13 uh, camps in 13 different cities for the entire summer. And so um, that was just a, such a fun time in my life. Um, I think ultimately what made it so fun, though, is we just had such a great staff. And so I think any camp, you have to have people that know the game and that know how to teach it. And I think those sometimes can be two different things. But, you know, we'd sit down for lunch every day and just the, the debates and, and sometimes even arguments about, very specific things about this is how you should teach footwork. And here's why this drill is better than this one. Um, and if you love basketball, you love being in that room. I mean, there were days when we literally your sub sandwich would sit in front of you and, and you didn't eat it because you were just so passionately trying to prove a point to the guy sitting across the table. Um, but we love being there. Yeah. And I so mean, I, uh, I, I have some of my first, key coaching DVDs with skill development where all Mike Lee and uh, the blueprint and all that stuff. I, I thought that he was more innovative than most people were now where they are now. A lot of the things that people are doing now, Mike's been doing and you guys were doing years ago. And um, it's, it's interesting to see a lot of the things that he's done and what he's done to, for the game is just incredible. I think one thing, and maybe you can I always felt that a lot of the drills and stuff that you guys did were always competitive, even in, in a camp situation. I always felt that it really added a competitive nature um, to the game of basketball in, in a camp style. We tried to make everything as realistic as possible. Right. I think you can pound the ball on the floor in a stationary position, and, and that's good for a time. But eventually you have to make it – I mean, you have to make it realistic to what you'd actually see in a game. And so I think um, a lot of the one-on-one -on -one drills are structured like that. You know, simple things like you're not allowed to turn your back to the basket um, or you only get two dribbles from the top of the key. That's the type of move that you have to be able to make in the game. You're not going to be able to take 15 dribbles and then and you know magically get a shot off. So right. Um, I thought that was great. The other thing Mike did a great job with is, you know, we brought DJs to our camps. Um, it was exciting. I mean, there was energy in the gym. Um, 
we gave reasons uh, to to show up. And um, when you're surrounded by that type of energy, I feel like yeah, I mean, just the tennis balls, the cones, all, you know, the quick movements. It wasn't uh, you know stationary. It was always it's just good stuff. And I I, I, I just think that it's it seemed like a really fun time in your life. Another great fun time in your life, Bruce. Seemed that you kind of got away from being a player, and you got you landed a great opportunity to be a was you're a varsity assistant, correct, at a local high school in Milwaukee called Milwaukee Marquette, um, which is not ultimately connected to the university but it is a high school very close by um and it seemed like you had an opportunity to have a great relationship and still have a great relationship with uh coach cooks which is actually he's now a coach at a division three college and is he still at concordia university am i right on that or am i wrong uh he was at concordia for the last three years yep. i think this is his first season stepping away and okay um he's actually written a book as well um, All right. about his life from paralysis to purpose and yeah. um if you haven't has to check him out and check out his book. You definitely should do so. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. He actually uh, I tried to recruit one of my players and did recruit one of my players when I was coaching high school at Mayville High School in a small rural town in Wisconsin. And uh, one of the reasons why my player decided to go there, just thought he was a really nice guy. And uh, and so I felt that your relationship really supported your connection to the game throughout your life. Um, can you explain why you think that relationship uh, with Coach Cook has been so strong and um, what he's done for you as a coach and as a person and why that those type of coaches or people are so important to keeping coaches around the game? Yeah, so Coach Cooks is just a remarkable man. Um, he's been paralyzed since he was 16 years old. Um, but, you know, physical um, physical stuff aside, he's just – he's an unbelievable personality. Um, I've never seen anybody care as much as he cares about kids. Um, and I think that so many of us can preach that, you know, this is a brotherhood and, you know, we're a family and all of these things. But until you're actually around that on a day-to-day -day basis, um, you know, I spent so much time in a basketball office with him just talking about – talking about my life and what did I wanted to get out of it and um, the challenges that I had and um, suggestions he had on just how to be, you know, just a better man. And I think that uh, for him to take the time to do that um, and ultimately to do that for the kids that we had on the team, I think it made all of us, even as coaches, uh, accountable to that because I think sometimes we forget that these are kids. These are kids that um, – they, they want to be mentored. Um, they want your support. And, and ultimately, like, they want your friendship in some ways, too. And I think there's a, there's a fine line between being a friend and being a coach. But um, the best ones you can ultimately look at and just say, as a player, I respect the hell out of this guy. Right. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through a wall for him because I know that he cares about me so deeply. Yeah, we often talk about the importance of building relationships. You know, I think that is so important. Um, especially uh, the, 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 the days of Bobby Knight and the I'm going to be in your grill and I really don't care about the, the inner person within, within kids has been gone. You know, uh, we need to really develop relationships with people and with our players. I think that's huge. Um, what is, uh, what's next for you in regards to the game of basketball? Are you getting an itch to, con uh, to, to coach again, to write another book, uh, you know, just be a dad and a husband? Who knows? What, what do you What do you think you see yourself now in the with the game of basketball as you move forward with your life? So that was kind of the the end of the book for me. It was just basketball has been such a huge part of my life for thirty four years, 
And for me to say that I'm, you know, walking away from the game in some ways, just it will never happen. I think I'll be connected in some way, somehow, the rest of my life. I think what's been awesome is just to see the the evolution of what that's looked like for me. Um, you know, spending literally thousands of hours in a, in a gym as a kid to playing college basketball to coaching really all over the country. I, I coached high school basketball in Milwaukee. I coached uh, in Salt Lake City, Southern California, and Chicago. I've been involved with some teams in Portland. I think that um, for me, it's just really kind of evaluating what the opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just, I feel like if you're not taking some type of action, um, your action is the best way to start another action. Right. And so even for the book, you know, so many people have reached out to me that um, some that I know, some that I didn't know, and just shared their stories with me or asked me questions about why I wrote such and such in the book or, or um, how come I felt a certain way. And um, for me, a lot of that is just garnered up new ideas, whether it's, you know, other platforms for, for other players or coaches to share their stories or to your point, is another book about basketball in some way. Um, we'll see. But I think um, I am super excited to continue to explore kind of where the game takes me and to do things like this where you, you know, we wouldn't have been connected, obviously, if if uh, we wouldn't have um, shared the, the book and some of the ideas in there. And um, I look forward to hearing hearing feedback from people even about this podcast. Yeah, for um, sure. I love how you connected uh, to the coaching aspect. But, you know, I think it, for a coach, it's really good to hear all the perspectives that co- go in, re- in regards to coaching. Um, one thing that we do with our interviews is we do a couple of some rapid fire questions where on the top of your head, you just kind of have to answer the best way that you can. So I'm just going to throw a couple of questions to you in regards to basketball and you're just going to have to rapid fire back. Um, if you, based on first thing I'm going to connect to the book, based on all the famous people that you've met and your amazing journey of life by far, who's the most memorable and why? Aaron Rodgers would be the most memorable um, <laughs> I met randomly in a bar in yep. Utah. And I actually played him in the video game, Buck Hunter. And um, I played very well. I'm not going to flat out say that he lost, but um, we, uh, it, it was great to meet him. And he was uh, so nice to the guys that I was with. Okay. Uh, advice, uh, advice for any young coach out there, somebody that's just starting their career in coaching basketball. Biggest advice would simply be um, to reach out to other people and just pick their brains. I mean, everything that all of us know is a culmination of what someone else probably taught us somewhere along the line. And so uh, I think somebody sent me a note on Twitter about three weeks ago and just said, would you mind jumping on a call with me for 10 minutes? I want to ask you three questions and here's what they are. And I thought, wow, I love the, uh, love the aggressiveness and I love the hustle. Awesome. Uh, the last one, greatest player of all time. Michael Jordan. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, that was a great one. Make sure you subscribe and like wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or whatever, and go over and check out teachings.com for coaches who want to get better. Have a great day. Sports Social Podcast Network.